All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City here on the 9th of May, 2017. I'd like to remind you, I'm also the author, the uh, editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and you can subscribe to my letter by going to miningstocks.com miningstocks.com or call our office here in New York, 718-457-1426. 718-457-1426. would also like to encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter. Uh, what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? You can uh, sign up for that one at chenpicks.com. Chenpicks.com. He's done exceptionally well over the years and I think deserves your attention uh, if you're a serious investor, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And I'd like to invite you also to send along your questions, criticisms, praises, or whatever comments you have to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Also want to thank our sponsors. Uh, today's sponsors uh, are Dynasert, Inc., Klondike Gold, Trimetals Mining, Telson Resources, RN Resources, GMV Minerals, Novo Resources, and Genesis Metals Corp. I've titled today's show, You Too Can Profit from Investing in NATO's Killing Machine. Richard Mayberry and Michael Oliver uh, return this week, and Ralph Shearing, the president and CEO of Telson Resources, visits for the first time to talk about not one, but two exciting gold and base metal mines nearing production in Mexico that the company has. I don't think the market's really aware of that, which explains the price where it is. And if they are successful, I think it's going to be, well, there's no way the share price uh, could remain at these low levels in my view anyway. And that's why I've added it to my newsletter. With respect to our main guest today, uh, Richard Mayberry, well, no one has a more objective and critical view of the Anglo-American empire uh, than this libertarian, Richard Mayberry. Um, he has recently made the statement that Trump's U-turn from his anti-NATO position as candidate Trump to his zealous pro-NATO stance now as president will prove to be one of the biggest mistakes by any president ever. Well, that's quite a statement, and so we'll ask Richard to explain that. He points out that while libertarians work to establish a country focused on liberty and justice for all, there is no escaping the realities of the world we live in. Uh, for all of us who pay their taxes, like it or not, we are participating in our empire's killing machine and the false flags used to justify its activities over in taking over country after country. So uh, surprisingly, though, Richard is advocating 
uh, actually investing in the military-industrial complex. And Richard has some other ideas about how you can survive as the United States engages in this longer-term economic self-destruction, spending beyond its means, printing money, destroying all the free markets, anything that's left of the free markets, and with it, of course, will go our prosperity and uh, our national security, ultimately. Well, on a somewhat less controversial note, Ralph Shearing uh, will talk about Telson Resources' plans for early gold production. He's going to be talking about the Tarahuto mine in Mexico and a second mine the company just recently agreed to buy uh, at a fire sale price. So Ralph will be with us in just a few minutes after our first commercial break. But I should also mention that our on Top Stock Picks a podcast that appears immediately after this show at J. Taylor Media, you can listen to some very interesting remarks about uh, the gold and silver markets from uh, Jordan Roy Byrne. He's a market technician. Jordan, who is a technical analyst, not only provides his views on the gold and the silver markets, but he is also going to talk about a couple of his favorite junior gold stocks. So actually, one is a silver stock and one is a gold stock. Very interesting stories that uh, you can listen to as soon as this show is over at J. Taylor Media. Go to the podcast page at that, at that site. But now we are most fortunate to have Michael Oliver back with us again on a day when the price of gold is heading south and making many of us gold bulls well, quite uneasy, and I'm uh, hoping that Michael can provide some comfort for those of us who like to see the price of gold trending from the lower left to the upper right. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for joining me again. Oh, good to be back, Jay. I missed you last week. Um, I always get a little bit nervous when I don't have you on, so I'm, I'm so glad that I'm, you know, I've got my security blanket back here now, Michael. Thanks for joining me. And, you know, I, I picked up a, a headline at Zero Hedge today. It said, Gold Drops Below Marcon Lows breaks key technical levels and you know in a special report that you put out on May 4th you noted some rules uh, that uh, that you use that relates to structure and momentum that cause you to see this uh, current decline in the price of gold as mere noise within a context of a of a positive annual momentum situation can you tell our listeners what those rules are and, and why they leave you unconcerned at least that's what I that's what I pick up I'm relatively unconcerned about this current gold price decline yeah the um historically if you go back you know to when gold was legalized in the 70s um and look at the major trend changes that have occurred and look at them not just from a price point of view but from my annual momentum structural point of view and we offer a lot of those uh, sample charts in that report may 4th if your uh, listeners would like one they could go to our site mm-hmm. olivermsa.com and ask for a sample, and we'll send it to them. But what happens at trend changes in gold, more often than not, is a gradualistic arm wrestling process that usually involves at least a year, sometimes more, where a lot of false moves will occur. Let's, let's go back, for example, to 2011 peak. Uh, gold hit, uh, you know, 1900 plus and dropped back into the 16s and came back to the high 17s and dropped back into the 15s and went back to the high 17s. All of this arm wrestling, $150 swings, took place after the uh, late 2011 peak and before the 2013 collapse. We mm-hmm. got bearish on gold in January of 2012 at a price of uh, 16, uh, it was 1650 ish area. Uh, and the market oscillated $100 below us and $100 above us for the rest of that year. 
And obviously, if you're still a bull in gold at that time, you thought every up move was uh, were relaunching. Okay, uh-huh. uh, we argued against that because momentum had broken its backbone. When you looked at a momentum chart, you saw a totally different picture than you saw on the price chart. And in every sell-off that occurred uh, down into the mid-1500s would halt and it'd go back up. So it was an arm wrestling match that you could look at a price chart and come away numb, not quite sure. Or if you were a bull, reassured, or if you are a bear, reassured, but still confused, both sides. Ultimately, momentum won. The market collapsed. It took until the spring of 2013 to do that. We went from the 1600s, 1700s. Next thing you knew, we're down in 1100s. Boom, three months. Um, but that was a process that took over a year to finally the arm wrestling match to end. The same thing happened uh, in the 2013 through 2015 period where gold would have repeated rallies of $100 plus nature. And it'd sell off and make a new low, but not really go anywhere. Make mm-hmm. a new low marginally, then go up another $100, $150. And it kept making new lows, but every time it'd make a new low, it'd be by a few more percentage points such that if you were a bear, you really weren't making a lot more money after the 2013 collapse. Again, an arm wrestling process. Mm-hmm. We broke out, gold did, in February of 2016 from our metrics. That occurred in the 1140 to 1160 price zone. It wasn't a price breakout, momentum. Mm-hmm. What happened since then? We went to high uh, 1200s, pulled back hard, went to the high 1300s, uh, then pulled back really hard late last year, back to the original breakout level, which would be the 1140 area. Actually, we got down to 1123. At that point, we did draw a line in the sand and said, we cannot see this market touch 1119.40. There was a specific reason for that. It didn't. That was a major pivotal area for us. And above us, we have another major pivotal area, which if we can get to this year, any time, in the 1320s, the next launch will occur. So in between that 1320 level and the low that occurred in December at uh, 1123, there's uh, quite a wide zone. And every, all the swings that we're getting within that zone are what we d- describe as noise. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're highly levered, either way, those swings can be dangerous and can hurt you. Sure. Uh, and from a bull point of view, you're frustrated because it keeps pulling back. But actually, from a bear point of view, put yourself in that position. You get these hard sell-offs, and they don't make new lows. They make mm-hmm. higher lows. Uh, and the issue right now is uh, there was another low other than the December low, which was uh, 1123. The other low was just a high 11, uh, 1192, I think it was, in March. Right now, we've dropped down to 1214 and change at today's low. question is, are we going to take out that low? And my answer is, I don't know, but I think if you see a 1226, which is like $10 above the current market, we're trading 1216 right now, uh, I think you're not going to take out that March low. That instead, mm-hmm. your coil is just continuing at lesser highs, lesser lows. Uh, and it's, it's a noisy coil. It's an arm wrestling match. But this is common. It's happened many times at major goal turns where this process unfolds. It's very confusing. But, uh, yeah, it, it really <laughs> is. Uh, it, it is unnerving for those of us that are bullish, but at the same time. leveraged, in other words. In other words, that's, yeah. that's our main argument. If you're long gold, be long gold and sit, sit tight. But be long from good levels. Uh, we suggested 1140 to 1160 was where we strongly pounded the table. Uh, getting long up at 1300 is not a good idea, uh, yeah. especially the leveraged, because you're subject to what we're getting right now. All right, Michael, we're going to have to leave a go at that. One quick okay. question, though, with 30 seconds left. 
Jordan Roy Byrne, who is on my other uh, J. Taylor Media, is suggesting he thinks we could take out the December low, but I guess you're, you're very doubtful of that. Is that right? Well, I, I'm skeptical of that. If you do, I'd have to reassess. Yeah. Now, that okay. December low is 1123. That's a, yeah. you know, like almost $90 below you. So um, he's talking deep. Uh, yeah. I don't well, have particular reason to assume that. All right. Very good. Well, okay. you know, that's what makes a market okay. different ideas, and uh, we right. welcome both ideas. Thank you very much, Michael, for Thank being you, with Jay. us. We are out of time. Um, thanks for being with us, and we'll talk to you again next week, hopefully. Well, folks, don't go away. Uh, we're going to be right back with Ralph Shearing. He's got a really exciting story to tell us with Telson Resources, a couple of near-producing uh, gold and base metal mines. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Ralph Shearing. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Telson Resources is building a new gold mine in Durango State that is destined to become one of the highest grade gold producers in Mexico. Telson plans to commence production in early 2018 to mine over 1,000 tons per day by the end of the first year. Telson presents an exciting opportunity to investors seeking to position themselves in an exciting and robust new undervalued gold mine opportunity. Telson Resources trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under symbol TSN and on the OTCBB under symbol SOHFF. TriMetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company exploring and developing its near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. TriMetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a gold resource with a robust preliminary economic assessment. TriMetals believes that with further drilling, there is a significant potential to discover 3 to 5 million ounces of gold at Gold Springs. TriMetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbols TMIAF and TMI respectively, and its website is trimetalsmining.com. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me for the first time Ralph Shearing. He's the president of one of our sponsor companies, Telson Resources. And uh, Ralph, uh, he's been around for a little while as a professional geologist. He graduated from the University of British Columbia uh, back in 1981. Uh, He's worked in Canada, but in many other countries. And as an exploration geologist, really doing all the things that exploration geologists do, um, you know, geophysics, geochemistry, geology, diamond core drilling, that sort of thing. So he's really a boots-on-the-ground guy that's now uh, spending some time, I suppose, perhaps not 
not uh, his preference in offices dealing with corporate matters, but he's also out in the walking the outcrops as well. Uh, he started the company in 1986 uh, and um, really making some great progress now that the bear market seems to be over in gold and uh, the company is doing doing quite well. Um, it's selling, though, only at around 34 cents in Canadian money uh, today. I think that is likely to prove to be a bargain sometime in the not-too-distant future, and I think Ralph uh, maybe will be able to explain why I feel that way. Uh, the stock trades in Toronto under the symbol TSN. You can buy it in the U.S. Uh, under the symbol SOHFF. About 94 million shares outstanding, and as I said, 34 cents Canadian, about $32 million market cap, and um, well, that's about $22 million or so in U.S. money uh, as a market cap. So it's a very low market cap company. I think when you hear what Ralph has to say, uh, you're going to kind of think that maybe it should be priced higher. Well, welcome, Ralph. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, thank you very much, Jay, for having me on the, on the show. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, it's really good to have you, and it was great seeing you at the Metals Investor Forum last weekend uh, up in there in Vancouver, your beautiful town, um, and good to see there seemed to be a lot of interest in your story as well. Um, on March 17th of this year, when I added Telson to my newsletter portfolio, you you had one advanced stage mining project, uh, the Tayojito, if I'm pronouncing that right, mine, located in Durango, very close, Mexico. Very close. Very close? Okay. Well, we, we can <laughs> we can brush up on our Spanish a little later, perhaps. But I thought that made you a very, very undervalued situation, and that's why I put it in my newsletter. I, even on that, now you've come around, and uh, this just as I was heading off to Vancouver, I noticed that you had picked up or at least had made an agreement to acquire a Campo Morado mine, another uh, another gold and silver operation uh, past producer in Mexico. Uh, maybe we start out with the Tayojito. Uh, what can you tell us about the economics of that mine, and and what do you expect to do? When might you start mining? Uh, give us a story on that story on that mine. Yeah, sure, Jay. The Tabuweto project is a, sort of a very advanced stage project. We put out a pre-feasibility study early this year that shows very good economics. And they were um, a study was done at a 550 ton a day operation. Once our initial plans, we we're really planning to get it up to a thousand tons per day in the first year. But the economics at uh, 550 tons a day, all 43101 compliant, were extremely good. Um, we came up with a, a 77 million dollar uh, net present value with an 8% discount, pays back in about three years, got a 21-year mine life, which uh, obviously isn't ideal, but uh, you know, as I said, our plans are ready to get it to 1,000 tons per day. Mm-hmm. Um, and our average cost of, uh, on a gold equivalent ounce basis looks like about $494 at that 550 ton a day, so we're going to be able to mine our, our project very economically with a high-grade nature. Yeah, well, you have also, uh, besides you have gold, you have silver, you have base metals there too. So is that applying a credit from those base metals, uh, Ralph, yeah, uh, on that 494? Yeah. certainly does. It's a, you know, primarily a gold project, probably 65% of the values in the gold. But we uh-huh. do have uh, lead, zinc, copper, and silver. And it, they pay pay very well. I mean, they'll give you know the rest of the value for going forward on the project. You are a tiny company, for sure. I mean, you're, as I just said, your market cap uh, quite low. Um, do you have the resources to put this thing back into production? Uh, well, yes. Actually, it was in production only for a very short period of time, many, many years ago. 
mm-hmm. at about 50 tons a day. We're actually planning, obviously, to expand that size, substantially expand it. And we we believe we have the resources. We're in the advanced stages of our fund funding negotiations. We're planning to do offtake funding, which is really just promising to deliver your concentrate to a commodities-style uh, broker or a purchaser. And with that, they'll loan you the money to uh, build your mine and probably have to give, you know, four or five-year term on the concentrate to be delivered to that commodities broker. So we're, as I say, in the best stages. We hope to bring that release out to the market very, very shortly. And that will give us all the money to build the mine. And the, plan, the plan is really around $15 million from the off-taker. We already have a, a loan facility in place with our major Mexican shareholder and controlling shareholder. Mm-hmm. Uh, about $7.5 million U.S. loan. We've tapped into that for about $3 million. So we have uh, the money necessary to build the mine if we conclude the off-take funding. Oh, and that well, so- would be completed towards throughout the rest of this year. We would hope to have it in production maybe by the end of the year, but most likely in the first quarter of next year. At 550 tons per day to start with, right? Yes, yes. And then the whole plan there is to ramp it up to 1,000 tons per day, which would be really easy because the pre-feasibility is wrapped around a one-shift, 12-hour day mining operation processing 24 hours. But the mill that we have already purchased for a a fairly uh, good price um, is capable of 1,000 tons per day. So... Well, all we would really need to do is just add one more shift and ramp up the production to feed that mill at 1,000 tons per day. Oh, okay. And the economics so, are, are, are much better. I mean, the economics yeah. obviously you know, increase the value at least 60 to 70% from the 500 tons per day. Yeah, so already we're looking at, as I understand, that $77 million present value discounted at 8% was for a 550 ton per day operation, right? Correct. Okay, so add sixty percent or so to that. I mean, already at seventy-seven million, you're, you know, you're more than twice um, the current market cap. So that yep, should give investors some sort of a goal, some sort of an idea where, uh, at least, if the market prices you, at least you're <laughs> discounted present value. But that's your first mine. That's your first project, and um, but you picked up a second. Um, you picked up a second, the Campo Morado mine, or you haven't picked it up yet, but you've signed an agreement to do so, right? Talk to, yes, us, talk to us about that. Correct. Well, that is an extremely good opportunity for the company and its shareholders. Um, that project uh, is capable. It has a mine, a mill. Everything is there. All the infrastructure is in place to produce a 2,500 tons per day. Uh, the story behind that project um, Fairlawn Mining, a Canadian company, put it to, discovered it and put it into production, drilled it, put it into production in the late 2008-2009. They produced for a short period of time. And you remember back then the market and the industry were just flying. Everything was going really, really well. And uh, there was a, a big smelting company, Nearstar, um, out of Belgium, who had made a corporate decision to go in and purchase mines rather than have to purchase the concentrate. They thought they would just get in and start mining and concentrate themselves. So they purchased mm-hmm. a half a dozen mines throughout North America, down to South America, and uh, continued and, and, and started operating those mines, producing concentrate. Well, you know what happened in uh, 2012, 13, and 14? The industry crashed. The price of zinc, they're a zinc smelting company. The price of zinc went right to the, to the bottom. I think it was trading under 50 cents a, a pound for a little while there. 
So they started to get into economic difficulties with a number of the projects, and corporate office decided that uh, you know this was a, a a good plan at the time. Um, however, the circumstances changed, and now that plan is not working out. So they made a corporate decision to dispose of the majority, if not all, of those assets are in that process right now. So I know they sold two. One we purchased, or at least, as you say, signed the agreement to purchase. Um, they purchased that back in 2010 for equivalent value of $420 million on a friendly takeover of Fairlawn Mining. Mm. My understanding is they put another $80 million in to purchase a royalty that uh, Silver Wheaton had on the project that kept mm. the Fairlawn guys that uh, loaned money to build the mine. And then they put more money in to expand the operation from around 750 tons a day to 2,500 tons per day. So they, they had a lot of money into this project, as well as the other projects. And the corporate decision to move out um, was really just, let's, let's get back to our core business and get to send the mines away. Um, so we were able to pick up that mine on a deal for $20 million U.S. dollars, which seems like hmm. a steal. And in, in, in some respects, it is. But there are a few little warts on the project that we think we can handle uh, fairly well. And, and remember that um, prices of zinc were way down and they had bought the mines for zinc production. So we stepped in. We made a deal for $20 million. We're paying, we paid $800,000. we are paying a balance of an uh, initial payment of $3,500,000. As soon as we get TSX approval, we expect to obtain that in the next several weeks. And then the balance is due within one year, so about $16.5 million, um, U.S. figures all, will be due in one year's time. So we're uh, planning to pay that out of production, so out of cash flows. Or um, if our stock does what we think it's going to do over the next short period of time, we can always go back to the market and raise additional funds to pay that cost. But the, the mine itself and the economics we've looked at, it's quite capable of paying back that uh, final payment before one year's time out of cash flows. Uh, you probably can't say too much yet about the economics of the mine. Um, where you're projected, obviously, you pay, you're paying $20 million, so you must have some concept of what it can do, um, what sort of cash flow it can provide at, and under different metals prices. But can you give us an idea of what how much metal might be produced from this operation? Give us some sense. You said 2,500 tons per well, day. But what, what, what might that amount to in terms of gold and silver production, et cetera? Well, the real, the real way to, to do that, and I can't say a lot because you know, we don't have any compliant reports ourselves right. issuing this. And in fact, the last 43101 report was in 2010 by Fairlawn Mining. And Nearstar, of course, are a very large company and aren't listed in Canada, so they weren't really reporting and doing uh, 43101 studies. But mm -hmm. in 2014, they produced right to the end of 2014, and they produced uh, 657,000 tons of ore. The average grades on that were 1.2 grams gold, 115 grams per ton silver, 4.6% zinc, 1.2% copper, and 0.9% lead. So, you know, you can, listeners can do that math, or they can get into the... Um, disclosure from Nearstar and, and come up with their own numbers, but it, it's going, going to be quite profitable for us. Uh, now, I mentioned a couple of words. One of the difficulties that Nearstar had when things were going bad and the metal prices were going down, there was stress, financial stress on the mine, so they had some difficulties with the local community. Mm -hmm. And we're very, very confident we can repair those 
uh, deficiencies with the local community because Antonio Berlanga, our CEO, is really a hands-on Mexican mining guy who's been in the industry all his life and has very has done this successfully in the past for various companies he's worked for to you know, engage the community, make them part of the mine, and bring them into the development of the mine and the operations of the mine. So, you know, they effectively, if you get them on site, they effectively become part of your security and looking after the areas and, and keeping the potentially keeping the bad guys away. So we've done that very successfully at Tabueto, and we're confident we can do it again uh, at Campo Morado. Yeah, well, certainly one of the main things you have going for you is Antonio and other uh, professionals that are Mexican natives that uh, know the culture, um, can mix with the people, and know how to do things in in that environment. Uh, I met Antonio, of course, he spoke there at the Metals Investor Forum. Um, what what can you tell us about, um, I mean, you already had on the, the first mining project you, you talked about, you've got a 21-year mine life, I guess probably a lot less than that if you go to 1,000 tons per day. But So you have a lot of mill feed there on that one. What about uh, the Campo Morado? Uh, you have a long, is that a long life situation that you see there or, or exploration yeah, potential? Definitely on, on both of them. And, you know, speaking with Campo Morado, it, it's got the res- current resources of 17 million tons in all categories. 14 of those mm-hmm. are measured and indicated. So there's a, a, a decent long life just with the resources that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the exploration potential is very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, they've used successfully geophysics to outline new ore bodies. Um, the, the area is large. There's lots of exploration potential to bring new resources and new reserves into a, a new mine plan that we'll be putting together for Campo Morado. And if you look at Tabueto, Tabueto is, is just got phenomenal exploration potential. Um, I visited that project first and made the deal to bring it into the company uh, a number of years ago. When I first stepped foot on the project, I just fell in love with it. Um, it's got very large exploration potential, and you know, we've proven that up on the current structure we've drilled. We have an, uh, numerous other structures that are mineralized. Uh, we haven't drilled them. They're sitting there waiting to be drilled to bring into the the reserves and resources of the project. And even the resource structures that we have drilled and make up our resources and reserves um, are open in all directions. We haven't found the limits of the ore bodies to depth, and, and they're open along strike on those on that one structure. So, so it's a very large exploration potential. The area we're working in is about 500 hectares, seven, well, say five to 700 hectares, and that contains the majority of the known structures and mineralized structures to date. However, we we own 7,500 hectares of a mineralized camp called Tawaweto. Mm. It's recognized in the geological surveys as the Tawaweto mineral camp. And um, I would say we have probably 85% of the prospective ground within our concession. So lots of greenfield exploration potential around that as well. My goodness. Well, that's... Uh... That's exciting. I guess, though, you you know, there are always maybe constraints in terms of um, tailings capability or uh, the ability to to pull ore from underground fast enough or to really expand. But I guess those are engineering issues that you might that you might face sometime in the future. But right now, it looks like you've got a lot of a lot of rock to uh, to blast and pull out of there and and produce from, right? For the foreseeable future. Certainly, yeah, thousand tons per day. It's twelve-year mine life. So there's uh, there's plenty <laughs> to go on, plenty upside on this project well, as well as Campo Morado. So we're we're all really really excited here at Telson. Well, rightfully uh, so. I, I, and, and, uh, yeah, 
Yeah, it's it's a very exciting story, I think, and I want to thank you very much. Any any one last um, thought, maybe before we conclude our discussion for today, with about thirty seconds left. Uh, for for me, well, I, you know, I guess I would just encourage uh, you know, potential investors and your listeners to you know, have a good look at our company. I think that you'd be pleasantly surprised at what we have uh, going on and where we're going in a very short period of time. It's not often you will come across. Um, a small company like ours, 35 million market cap, that will have two mines in production um, within a very short period of time. Certainly, oh, by I certainly uh, early next year. Certainly agree with that. Thank you very much, uh, Ralph, for being with us today, and we'll look to do it again sometime in the not too distant future. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for this segment. But don't go away. Richard Mayberry will be back with us. Some some very interesting comments about uh, President Trump and his geopolitics, as well as economics, and how you can. Protect yourself against what might not be such a bright future, uh, economically speaking, anyway. So uh, don't go away. We'll be right back with Richard Mayberry. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently upgrading and expanding on its resources to produce an economic study in Q3 2017, followed by construction in Q1 2018. Novo enjoys a strong balance sheet and supportive shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbols NVO and NSRPF, respectively. Dynasert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790 that's 1-866-472-5790 you can also send an email to questions taylor at gmail.com that's questions the number four taylor at gmail.com now back to our program Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me once again Richard Mayberry. is the publisher of the U.S. and World Early Warning Report uh, for investors. It is a, a geopolitical uh, letter. It deals with politics, uh, economics. Uh, Richard is a free market uh, Austrian school thinker, and he really uh, endorses the founding fathers and what they stood for and, of course, um, talks frequently about how we've departed from there. But at the same time, we have to live in this world that we're in, and Richard has, I think, some really great advice as to how to do that, and at the same time, uh, live a life that is uh, fair and equitable to those around us. So, thanks for joining me again, Richard. It's always good to have you. Oh, I always enjoy it, Jay. You're doing a a really great job here. Um, There are very few other sources of alternate alternate viewpoints um, like yours, and I'm I'm really glad that you're out there doing this job. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. I mean, I think you and I both agree that truth is the ultimate thing that we want to 
Mattel, and we endeavor to do that as best we can. And uh, I suppose some people would think of you as a, a purveyor of fake news, as they do Ron Paul and other people too. Uh, fake news because they don't agree with it, perhaps. But in any event, your letter is just excellent. It provides excellent uh, investment advice, and you've your people have done very well over the years. So we want to get into that. But I'd like to start out by asking a little bit um, some of the ideas in your last letter that I found really intriguing, very, very interesting, your April-May letter. You do publish 10 times a year, uh, Mm -hmm. and I guess April-May is one of those times when you lump two months together. But, And I should tell Mm -hmm. people before we go any further uh, that they should go uh, to Richard, uh, no, it's earlywarningreport.com, earlywarningreport.com to learn more about your letter. And it is a very reasonably priced letter, so it's not something you need to be a billionaire to subscribe to. So in any event, Richard, I want to get get into this, um, <clears throat> your last letter when you talked about, um, you started out the May, April-May letter by stating, and I quote, The more I think about Trump's February 18th surprise decision to defend NATO, the more I believe the U- the U-turn will someday be seen as one of the biggest mistakes any president ever made. Now, the U-turn, the U-turn that you're talking about is Trump's, uh, you know, going pro-NATO when, in fact, it was one of his biggest and most consistent promises to uh, to the voters that he would um, that he didn't think that NATO even needed to exist any longer. So here he goes, a U-turn. Uh, talk about why is that so important, and why do you think? I mean, this is a pretty profound pretty substantial statement you're making here that is, that's the biggest mistake any president ever made. Yeah. Um, he, he was he was profoundly right when he was promising that he would um, take America um, back to the time when the federal government did not um, go abroad in search of dragons to slay. Mm-hmm. Um, most Americans, you know, well, let's start with the fact, the unfortunate fact, that in every country of the world, including the U.S., the schools are owned or controlled by government agencies. And the teachers will get in trouble if they don't teach the things that are the official government history. Um, and the history that Americans don't get is, is so important it's 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 just astounding to me that um, so few people ever do bother to investigate whether they were taught the truth in school or not. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the things that that's so important for people to know is that the federal government doesn't just meddle in your life and my life and our family's lives; it meddles in the lives of everybody around the world. The, the American president um, is not just the president of the U.S. He's emperor of the world. Mm-hmm. The, U- the U.S. government has its fingers in every country of the world, and it takes sides in all sorts of wars around the world. And, and when it takes sides, it is automatically making you and me an enemy of the other side. Yes. Uh, you know, we don't have any choice in it. They just, those, those people in Washington just drag us into these wars one after the other right, on this assumption that it's necessary for the federal government to go around the world poking sharp sticks at rattlesnakes. 
And there are a lot of rattlesnakes. There's, <laughs> there's almost no government out there that I would trust. Uh, and, um, and the federal government is out there taking sides constantly. And, and Trump was, was saying that during that, that campaign. It was the most refreshing breath of fresh air Indeed. that I've heard out of anybody in, in a, you know, who knows how long. And he walked away from it after he got elected. He just totally turned around and said, oh, no, we're going to continue meddling in these other countries and making enemies out of these people. Uh, it's, it's a horrible thing. And I think that, that it will be as bad as, as I said in, in that newsletter because he doesn't know anything about this. He has no personal military experience. He's surrounded by military people um, who are... Well, you know the old saying, uh, if uh, all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right. Well, if you're, you're a military expert, then you're always thinking in terms of, of military actions and, or, um, or even the, the attempt to avoid military actions. They, um, they get themselves into trouble somewhere, and then they spend a whole lot of time and money and blood trying to get back out again. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, <clears throat> that we've got a guy in here who was just... Just instantly corrupted by his power as soon as he got his hands on it. Just instantly. It's just, I have never heard of a case in all of world history where a politician was corrupted that quickly. Um, it was only days after he got in, in power that he switched away from this idea of America taking care of America and, and defending ourselves, but leaving other people alone. So uh, um, I, the, kind, the kind of trouble, the amount of trouble he's going to get into, I think, I mean, it scares me to death the guy doesn't know what he's doing yeah well but to what extent uh, would other presidents too not be have to succumb to the same kind of pressures from the military industrial complex richard you know obama certainly obama had some ideas that um about sort of scaling things back and all that but, but you know he wasn't he he was pretty pretty militaristic as well wasn't he yeah he was eventually dragged into it too it's you know i in my newsletter at least at least once every issue i i make the statement political power corrupts the morals and the judgment and history teaches no clearer lesson than that and um these these people they get into office and immediately they've got their hands on the most satisfying kind of power which is military power and and it's a thrilling thing believe me i was in the air force and i I know what military weapons are like, and and it it is thrilling. It's a the <laughs> it, power. It, it's the worst kind of drug there is. Let me tell you. Yeah. And um, they get in there and they get their hands on it, and that's what's happened to him. And the the others, you know, they have uh, previous presidents have a lot of them have been kind of drag kicking and screaming into the U.S. empire. Uh, but Trump, my God, this is astounding the way he just caved in right away. Way. Yeah, um, so quickly. Uh, yeah, yeah, no resistance whatsoever that anybody knows about, at least. And um, again, I come back to, to uh, I, don't, I don't think there's ever been a president that was so corrupted so quickly as he was. I have an interesting, um, an in- it's not my theory, it's a theory that was put out by Alistair McLeod, and I'd like to run it by you to see uh, mm-hmm. what your thoughts are about it. Alistair was picking up from the views of a spe- given in a speech by a major general in uh, China that apparently carries a lot of weight among the Chinese government. And his idea is that the United States 
needs to create crises from time to time to enable the treasury to be funded. And he talked about the Latin American crisis, I guess it was in the 70s, and, and then the Asian crisis in the 80s, the late 80s, um, or was it the 90s, I guess. I'm, I'm losing track mm-hmm. of time here a little bit. Uh, and then he said that uh, the next round was uh, China, that China was the next region to be harvested. And the idea was that... <clears throat> The the United States spends about 10 years or so expanding the monetary system, getting other countries into debt, and then it pulls the plug and it goes in and it is able to go in and, and buy assets real cheap. Its corporate state is. Uh, and it also creates the safe haven uh, situation where money flows back into the treasury to finance it. Uh, and <clears throat> and uh, the idea that Trump suddenly starts to, uh, his military action, which he did, and uh, I guess it started with uh, sending the vice president to NATO and making peace with NATO right away. And then we saw, well, we saw a number of military or hits. There was the Yemen thing. And then, of course, in Syria more recently. Uh, and, and the idea that the, the, the Alistair had here on this whole no- notion was that, uh, you know, Trump has a budget he's got to get approved uh, he's got to finance the treasury and if he isn't able to finance the treasury we start having interest rates going up because people aren't willing to put money into the treasury and to buy the u.s treasuries at these ridiculously low prices low interest rates um, then we've got a real problem because the amount of debt that's on the books now is just astronomical and the whole system will blow up. And so Trump, maybe maybe the lights went on once he started seeing the whole picture that in order to be able to keep this system intact a little longer, he would have to show his muscle uh, and create some fear and trepidation around the world so that there would be money flowing back into the safe haven. Is that, does that make any sense to you, Richard? Oh, a great deal of sense. I think I would agree with all of it. Um, I'm, um, I, I would, however, just simplify it. Mm-hmm. Um, all governments need threats. They have to be able to promise that they are protecting us against some threat. And it doesn't really matter what the threat is. It can be global warming or global cooling mm-hmm. or, or global, global <laughs> unchanging. You know, it, it could be uh, the Chinese or the Russians, anything. And, and every government has this problem is how do you convince the people they should just hand their money over to you? Mm-hmm. Well, you tell them there's a threat that you're protecting them against. In fact, two threats is better, three is even better, and on and on. The more threats a government has, then the more money it can collect, because the more it can keep us in fear. And the, the simple way of looking at it is that every government is lives in terror of the day that they run out of threat. Mm-hmm. And so, so they like to have a stockpile of threats, so that when one threat stops working, they can go to another one. Scared <laughs> about that. Uh, so a government without a stockpile of threats is one that's in trouble. A little bit like the mafia would act, uh, you know, for protection, I guess. They're, they're providing a protection yeah. uh, game yeah. in which they blow things up and then, you know, blame it on someone else. The false yeah. flags, as it were, uh, false flags, yeah. as it were. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of mm-hmm. people that, I think, credible people that believe the whole poison gas thing in, in Syria recently was a false flag. As, and mm-hmm. we learned, of course, the one in uh, that got us into Iraq was a false flag, the yeah. weapons of mass destruction. But in any event, the world is what it is. And I would like to ask you, Richard, uh, you also stated in your April-May issue, you said, uh, and I quote, as investors, we aren't, if we aren't savvy about what government really is and how it really behaves, the new 
uh, are headed for, then we're headed for trouble. On the other hand, if we do understand, an array of opportunities appears, end of quote. So um, we'd like to ask, your, ask you to perhaps share some of your, your knowledge about what's going on in the world now. And uh, you made some, you drew some parallels between now and uh, the end of the Clinton administration and uh, raised the question as to whether history might repeat. I think what you're suggesting is that there's, under Trump now, especially looks like there's going to be a big buildup in military, whether we can afford it or not. Um, mm-hmm. But could you talk about that a little bit? And then what are some of the opportunities that are out there if for those who recognize the inevitability of, of this trend? Okay, um, before I get into that, I, I would like to make clear to the audience, I, I may sound like I'm being anti-military or I'm being a pacifist or something, um, or that I think that it's a bad thing to be able to defend yourself. I don't. I am yeah. a really great believer in national defense. Mm-hmm. I just think we got the wrong kind. We've got a kind that's designed to to uh, meddle in other countries instead of defend our country. So, um, and I, I've done in early warning report, I've done a series of articles um, a couple of years ago explaining that the U.S. ought to have the kind of defense that the Swiss used to have. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, the Swiss still do mostly, but not like they did, let's say, 20 years ago, where it's oriented entirely to defense and, and never meddling in anybody else's country. And that has kept the Swiss out of war, out of a foreign war, for something like 200 years, even though they've often been surrounded by it. So I'm a big believer in, in national defense. Now, when you talk about the, um, uh, the the opportunities that arise from the situation we're in, it's a it's a really nasty situation where if you do everything that's ethical, um, that's purely you know, if you pick everything on the basis all of your investments on the basis of ethics, you're going to go broke. Mm-hmm. Um, and the government has put us in that situation because every time they pass any kind of a law or regulation, they shift. The flow of money and if you are in the losing part of that flow then you're in trouble whereas if you're on the gaining part of that flow then you've got an advantage and you have to keep that in mind all the time and so I, I kind of I'm, what I'm coming to is that um, we've got to understand that there's not anything inherently wrong with weapons mm-hmm. it's okay to defend yourself mm-hmm. and so what we're, what what's coming here what we can see very clearly now is that Trump is heading in the direction of uh, being a war president mm-hmm. and those the new uh, the newly growing demand for weapons um, is going to happen you can't do anything to stop it they're headed for more wars and so the thing to get into is the defense stock mm-hmm. um, and we you know I would prefer that we had a military policy like the Swiss and that absolutely every weapon that is made would be used for the defense of the United States instead of meddling in other countries. But it's not that way. Uh, You've just got to go with the flow. Uh, yep, I'm it's quite- unfortunate, but you do. And and the, to me, the investments that have the best risk versus reward ratio are the defense stocks now. I, I think the, the risks in defense stocks are pretty close to zero, and the profits that are coming are going to be enormous because this guy doesn't know what he's doing, and he's just being led right down the, the garden path in in the same way that so many other presidents have. 
Yeah. So while it seemed on the on the surface that the uh, neoconservatives were against Trump, they might find him to be the, the most rabid supporter of them that they could possibly hope for. And uh, yeah, it's it's very true. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm looking at your portfolio, Richard, and I, if we have a minute or two, I'd like to get to that. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the mm-hmm. time flies here. Fidelity Defense is a mutual fund, I guess, or is it a mm-hmm. it's a mutual fund that you're su- suggesting? And as I look at your chart here, you're saying it's now selling at around 136 bucks. I think I looked at it earlier today. It might be 140 now. And you're suggesting a, a, a whole portfolio of, of commodities and things that people should own and defense stocks, um, believing that, you know, the dollar is going to ultimately is going to, um, you know, really crap out. And uh, mm-hmm. you're looking at this defense stock as being something that could go, you know, 600 bucks or so at the mm-hmm. peak of the, uh, of the of the turmoil that lies ahead, I guess, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So. Um, definitely. Um, the, uh, Fidelity Select Defense and Aerospace Fund, uh, FSDAX, is... Um, a uh, basket of uh, dozens of um, defense stocks, and uh, it's a good way to go, especially if you're new to this. There's also um, uh, five other, five main stocks that I refer to as the big five mm-hmm. that are, um, I think, the essential ones to get because they're the largest of the defense companies in the world, and they own the most congressmen. That's how they got large, mm-hmm. and um, <clears throat> they are the ones that that generally perform the best in times like we're headed into. Uh, one of them is Lockheed, another one is Raytheon, another one is General Dynamic, and uh, there's two others. Um well, they're in, they're in the newsletter. They're listed yes. in the newsletter. Yes, and I might just add that that you that you cover this topic frequently. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and again, I know it's I know you, Richard, and you're one that you know you would love to see us just defend our country. But in fact, what we're doing is defending an empire that is making yeah. rich richer, and um, Wall Street is loving it, of course, mm-hmm. redistributing wealth. You know, the, when the governments print money, uh, the people closest to the feeding trough are the ones that get richest, and the rest sort of starve. The big the big fat pig get the food and the rest basically starve. Um, just in the last few minutes that we have here, you know, one of the things that you follow as an Austrian economist who most Austrian people don't think about uh, is velocity. And you run a very interesting, well, almost every, I think every month, you always have your velocity index, both in the United States and outside. Uh, what do you think, it, you know, it's remained very low. That is the turnover of money because my idea is that people have to hang on to their money because they just simply are worried about paying next month's rent and putting food on the table. That's the vast majority of Americans are in that or in that condition and so and the rich guys have so much money well they're just keeping it in the stock market or the bond market or wherever they're at and so you don't see this velocity turnover that we're that would really cause prices to be more closely reflected the amount of money that's been created in, in the system what do you think might trigger what I mean it's it's a psychological thing almost isn't it and when people start to yeah. just yeah what, what do you think might trigger that what might I mean this is well, very worrisome this is really not something we're looking forward to but we're protecting ourselves. And when I look at you talking about gold, you know, from 1200 to 12000 oil from $51 to 250 silver from 16 to 200 platinum to 12000 platinum to 5000 etc., etc. Um, you're you're talking there in terms of a dollar that suddenly loses its value, I would think, and I would think that would be true globally, which would also pretend an end of the empire, perhaps. Yeah, um, that's a very common thing. Empires uh, usually do go down uh, accompanied by some sort of monetary crisis. 
So yeah, yeah. Uh, it's something you would expect. The government um, just cannot uh, finance its activities anymore. You, you can't have a welfare state and a warfare state both. Um, and you and the government goes broke, and it, it uh, guns the printing presses in order to print money to pay for it, pay its bills, and all. You know, it, it just all goes in, into a, a big mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think uh, that's where we're headed. A really uh, disappointing thing to me, at least so far is that Trump had uh, a rise in velocity started. He mm-hmm. created enough enough optimism mm-hmm. that the speed at which the money circulates, that's what we call velocity, mm-hmm. was increasing. And the, the economy was starting to pull out there for two or three months. Things mm-hmm. looked really good. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, by golly, you know, he might really end the, the recession. <laughs> yeah, which uh, never really did end since 2008, 2009. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, this recovery is a phony recovery. Everybody mm-hmm. knows it. And and it looked like he was going to create enough optimism that he might actually turn it around just by creating optimism mm-hmm. and causing people to go out and start spending. Mm-hmm. But um, <clears throat> here he's, you know, what can I tell you? You know what, what's going on. The guy, yeah. the guy is just, uh, he's finding, he's being very creative in ways to create disappointment. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's yeah, it's uh, it's a terrible uh, situation that we're in. And if somebody will sit him down and and tell him the truth about what he's doing, what his job is, that he actually is the emperor of the world, and he better start behaving like it. Um, you know, if somebody doesn't do that, then we've we've got a guy here that's out of touch with reality, almost completely, running the world. Yeah, well, I would just say uh, we're out of time now, Richard. It always goes so fast. But, you know, um, if people do want to keep in touch with reality, I would suggest they subscribe to the Richard J. Mayberry USN World Report Early Warning Report. Uh, it's really a very good a very good newsletter. It's one that I look forward to every month. Richard, I'm always grateful that you will come on my show. And uh, uh, we'll look to do it again sometime in the near future because you have so much to say. But I think for my listeners to really take advantage of that they do need to subscribe uh, and so it's earlywarningreport.com I believe is what we said right yes yes and incidentally I, I believe that there is a special offer going on right now oh. um, you can uh, you can get it for at least $100 off um, I don't know uh, oh, exactly good. how much but it's, it's a pretty good deal and they find that out on your website Yes, yeah, so or, or uh, I'll uh, give you the 800 number, too. Okay. It's 800-509-5400. Again, that's 800-509-5400. Well, it's uh, highly recommended by, uh, by your host here, folks. I hope that you'll take advantage of that special uh, discount right now. Richard, thank you so much for being with us, and we'll have to do it again sometime in the near future. Yes, thanks, Jay. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. All right, folks. Well, next week, uh, Alistair McCloud will be with us. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Dinosert is a global leader in carbon emission reduction technologies. Created for use in diesel engines, the hydrogen unit has been proven to reduce carbon emissions by up to 40%, increase torque, 
improve engine oil quality, and provide up to 19% in fuel savings. Our leading-edge technology is designed for tractor trailers, rail, marine, and newly developed for diesel engine cars. Reducing the amount of greenhouse gases provides benefits to the environment, to communities and businesses, and to our shareholders. TriMetals Mining is a growth-focused mineral exploration company exploring and developing its near-surface Gold Springs Gold Silver Project in mining-friendly Nevada and Utah. TriMetals has only drilled less than 10% of the gold targets at Gold Springs, and it already has a gold resource with a robust preliminary economic assessment. TriMetals believes that with further drilling, there is a significant potential to discover 3 to 5 million ounces of gold at Gold Springs. TriMetals shares are listed on the OTCQX and the TSX under symbol. TMIAF and TMI respectively, and its website is trimetalsmining.com. 